Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good morning, everyone. We're here for our weekly roundup of world affairs with Simon Cat. How are you, Simon? Matt, good morning. It's a pleasure to speak to you. It feels like a weekend morning on Good Friday as we've been gathering our eggs and um, getting ready for Easter. I'm, I'm really well, thanks for asking. Very good. So you've you got eggs. Are you going to do the traditional um, egg hunt? You paint your eggs? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> we are. I, I've overcated. Uh, I don't know about you, but to me, the Easter egg hunt on a Sunday morning was the probably single most exciting thing of my year when I was five, six, seven years old. And even for the subsequent year when I was doing my appointed chores of sweeping the leaves off the pavement at my parents' house where I grew up, we would find these deliciously exciting little gold and blue and pink foil-wrapped little chocolate eggs stuffed away in the garden that we hadn't found on Easter Sunday. Oh, so Beautiful. So, now, you're, 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 t- you're talking um, uh, chocolate eggs there. See, but back in my day, this shows how old I am, we... We had to paint the eggs, and there was a competition. Oh. See who had painted the most gorgeous egg, and you you won a you won a little prize, maybe a bar of chocolate or something. And then the eggs were hidden around the garden, and then you had to go and hunt them. No chocolate, no silver foil. It's very austere. So you, you hid the painted eggs, and yes. you found a found yes. a painted egg. So it was like an artistic creation, absolutely homemade, absolutely. And sometimes I think it's an Irish tradition used to. Sometimes dye the eggs with um, whin or gorse flowers, and I used to bring them up as sort of quite yellow colour. But I think in the background, I hear someone who might be a future egg hunter. Who's this joining us? <laughs> You've got Sienna. Sienna is six months. She was born September the nineteenth. Oh, um, Virgo. And she would love to have chocolate. This morning, she's had some mushed green pea. And uh, some raspberries with daddy because the teenagers are in bed asleep. Of course. Um, and now she's sucking on a uh, on a milk bottle. So her little little snuffling noises you need are not a little pig or a, a chicken, but a Sienna. <laughs> well, well, welcome to the folds to young Sienna. That's how lovely. How lovely. Um, well, Simon, I'm, I'm sure you have a weekend of chores ahead of you. I know I was given my list last night. So uh, we all have things to be getting on with, apparently. Um, but we're going to talk about what's been happening in the world. Um, you've, um, we, we've obviously this week we've seen the Bank of England actually move into uh, in, in, into gear. What's your take on this quantitative easing that we appear to ha- be doing? Um, thank you. Um, before I uh, embarked out of monetary journey can mm. you let me know matt how how are the cockerels how are your chickens the real life ones <laughs> everyone is, we, we we keep getting messages now we keep getting messages oh the, really the, there was an incident there was an incident and um we had we, we have too many cockerels and um <clears throat> there were there's some fighting and there was a death they fought to the death oh so that's what cockerels do, I guess. The, the big, the boys, a bit like teenage or or young men, have to prove their their worth to each other by yeah. fighting each other. Yeah, yeah. Slight traumatic. Um, this this is not 
not for people with a weak constitution. There was a, there was a lot of blood around, and um, one little fellow was left uh, on the floor. So we may have to uh, give away some cockerels. If, if, if you're in need of one, let me know. Of a, <laughs> but would I get a, an alive or a dead cockerel where there's <laughs> bits, bits bitten out of him? Yeah, well, one of the, I think I think the dead one has, has been um, disposed of. We used to we used to uh, go through the process of burying them because that's what the children wanted, and then <coughs> and then more lastly they they um, get left out for Mr. Foxy, who takes them. And is gone right. by morning, so it's, yeah. So you don't eat them once they've been killed by a fellow cock. No, no, these are bantams, so they're not a lot of meat, and it's a bit a bit gamey. Um, so it would not be good eating, but Mr. Foxy seems a little bit less uh, uh, caring uh, about the taste. So um, yeah, he, he he gets it. So, but thank you, thank you for asking. Yeah, they 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 are all well. The cockles and the ladies are all well, apart good. from one. Apart from um, one. So we we <laughs> but we should talk about the Bank of England. We're here to talk economics. So yeah, um, back to so that. I think historic day. I don't know if you noticed yesterday, Friday morning, sorry, uh, yesterday, today is Friday morning, Thursday being the last day of the week, working week last week, if you are a student of capital markets and your mornings are uh, checking your watch list of what went up and down and what the economic news was, um, the gold price pushed up um, finishing, you know, the quarter, the March quarter with record volumes, record demand from people. And the news of the morning was that the Bank of England was was um, directly financing the UK government. And, and why that's significant is it's normally a headline that we'd read in, in Venezuela or Zimbabwe or a third world country. Um, but the Bank of England, one of um, one of the world's oldest banks, is financing the, the government directly. <clears throat> the way that, to, to explain why that's significant, the way that central banks normally finance their governments is they the governments um, decide that they need to borrow some money from the international capital markets, um, countries that are net savers like China and Japan and others, uh, and they issue bonds and they get sold into the open market and the central bank might buy some of those if they're doing what they call quantitative easing, which means buying securities of their own government. And what, what, what the Bank of England, which last week said they would definitely not do this, was financed those government bonds, that government borrowing directly by printing money and, and buying those bonds directly from the government rather than going through the open market. So um, that is, um, so something that is changed. extremely inflationary. So, what, so what's changed? What's changed is that the, 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 the markets are not arbitrating at what price the central bank buys that debt to fund the government. So it is. It is the another description for it is is printing money, and the Bank of England has has described it as a temporary facility. I think they increased their facility from 400 million to 20 billion pounds. They they call this slush fund the Ways and Means Fund, which sounds like another description for um you know how much do you need and we'll print it and hand it over. Um, the 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 moral hazard is governments who are run by politicians who like to be popular because that means they get re-elected. Uh, they, they will obviously borrow as much as they can, and they've got a good, really good reason, known as the coronavirus and the global pandemic, to do that. 
Um, so um, the, the, the risk is that central banks around the world print money, finance government spending um, in the uh, corona hour of need, and it, the, the outcome is it's hugely inflationary. So other other messages on my inbox this morning were pictures of helicopters with uh, with dollar bills being dropped out of them. Um, and that, that referred to the famous helicopter drop, um, which was originally commented by coined by Milton Friedman, Friedman the economist, and then um, and then more recently made famous by Ben Bernanke, who during the global financial crisis chaired the Federal Reserve. Um, and, and they were referring to the $2.3 trillion of stimulus by the, uh, the Fed, which was announced um, uh, in the last two days as well. So I don't know about you, Matt, but uh, the, the record volumes of gold demand and looking at the stock market having recovered half of its sell-off, the corona crisis sell-off, um, what we're seeing is all of this free money find its way back into financial assets and um, governments tend to err on the side of overdoing it when they have free money being handed to them in terms of monetary and fiscal stimulus. So I think that's where we're heading. That's why the capital markets have responded so um and so what's this uh, mean? Explain, explain it in layman's terms for people listening to this. You know, so all this money's being printed and it's going to be allocated to, typically in the past it's always been, we're going to plough it into infrastructure projects. Are they going to be doing that or are they just going to be buying paper? Um, which, you know, to the, the average guy in the street just doesn't seem sensible because they don't know what, it, what the impact on, on them is, but they can if they see these large infrastructure projects going on, they can sort of see how that sort of trickles down to them. So what do you think we, is going to happen here in the UK and, and, and perhaps even further afield because obviously it's happening all around the world? Um, so we haven't been here before. Um, if you read the, the headlines, um, we, we can see that this is the most, it's, it's a health crisis um, which is turning uh, and has turned into a, a financial crisis. Um, if you speak to people in deeply affected countries like Italy, um, then what they'll tell you is that the government has said they will give you money in your bank account for the job you don't have if you've been furloughed, that the money hasn't come yet. So, you know, I've also this morning had a call with a, a friend of mine very close to home if you live in central London, um, and he's he works on a food bank. He's a, a dear friend. He used to run money for for um, uh, a European asset manager. Um, and he donates his time, and he's just been asking his friends for money. And I've just been speaking about how I can donate some time. And I said, so who are the people that are that are there in the food bank that are coming along? You know, when you do your Thursday night shift. And David was telling me. Um, he said it's a mixture. He said, well, you get some emotionally disturbed people who are possibly homeless, um, a lot of them are single mothers um, who can't meet the universal test of having shown that they've searched for a job for 45 hours a week um, and they they just can't do afford the food shopping for the week to feed their kids. Um, so uh, he, said, he said normally on a Thursday night we'll have um, on a really busy night, he said, we'll have 20 people. He said, right now, he said, we've got 60 people. He said, we can't cope with more than 25 at one time. So it is a shit show. Um, so we're seeing the effect of 
the corona crisis and people losing their jobs, maybe those those single mothers were uh, waitresses or or um, you know working at a shopping center. Um, uh, moving across to America, my American friend was yesterday telling me that um, um, he uh, the one in one statistic was that one in four Americans uh, employed or somehow affected by a job out of a out of a shopping mall, which are all shut down right now. So I think there is a very different economic reality for people, those people who've suddenly lost their income, um, and I, I believe the IMF is saying that four out of five people have lost their jobs. Or, or been temporary, tempor temporarily um, furloughed, um, and what's going on in the capital markets and uh, the reef, the, the money that the, that the governments and particularly the central banks are now pumping into the system, a lot of that's finding its way into, as you called it, paper or financial assets, and getting the money into the hands of the people that need it the most is really tough. Um, and, it, and, and unfortunately, I think the gulf between the haves and the have-nots continues to grow. Well, it, well, it certainly does, and you know, I think this is a common story throughout the world. You know, where you know, we, we I think a lot of countries have this furlough system in, in place. Quite a few don't, um, and even where it, it is available, it's very hard to actually, as you say, meet that threshold. And um, you know, governments are trying to be trying to be clear. Um, I know we are struggling here because we've got friends whose businesses have been affected and people have had to stand down, so mainly around the travel industry. And they're not actually quite sure, you know, when they're going to get their money. And that doesn't help right now. You know, that, that, that delay is, is, you know, painful. We, you know, we, we've had friends ask us for money uh, to kind of get them through this. And, you know, of course, we're delighted to, to help. But, you know, for them, that uncertainty... Um, and even kind of that, you know, that sort of, um, they, 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 feel, they feel it's sort of undignified and they shouldn't have to. You know, the government's meant to be there to support them. We're paying all of these taxes. We're paying all of these, um, you, know, uh, you, know, you know, VAT, et cetera, to HMRC. So, you know, they, they do need to kind of step up and, and help people at a very simple, basic level, you know, to allow them to live, you know, hopefully live their lives as normally as one can during these times. So... It, that, that, that's why I was asking, you know, what what does QE actually do? You know, I, I get that it's more money coming down, um, you know, should trickle down, but sometimes it just takes a little bit too long, and maybe it's not the most direct route. Yeah, well, look, it, it is, uh, I think it's unknown, we haven't been here before, and how the government puts money into your bank account if you're the one that needs it is the question, and, um, you know, I, I actually don't know if that is happening to those people that need it but um, often from the anecdotes from on the ground people in terms of crisis centers like food centers it's it's really tough and it's twice as bad as it normally is as it was in the global financial crisis for example um and then of course we all live in a rich country i um yesterday was speaking with my friends in ecuador you and i spoke um three weeks ago about our ecuadorian friends at salazar and um, wow, that's that's uh, a very seriously affected country. Um, they don't have ventilators, so one of the things we, we have this non-profit organisation called the Salazar Foundation, which is Salazar family, who are the main shareholders of Salazar Resources Inc, uh, are um, working with the communities around which where they have their mineral prospecting projects that they work on. 
Um, and the hospitals don't have ventilators, they don't have masks, they don't have money for any of those things. So, you know, the conversation... Oh, it sounds like there's an alarm going off. <laughs> How exciting. So, Simon, um, I think you're now outside. I can hear the tweeting of birds, and, and um, has Sienna gone off to see Mum? Yeah, I've had it, uh, the alarms woken the house up, so six-month-old Sienna is now um, now safely ensconced with uh, teenage big brother, oh. um, and, and I'm outside away from the alarms, which is oh. the best place to be. Very nice. So we, whilst you were doing that, we, we took delivery of our Ocado delivery, so um, for, the, for the week... Maybe the month. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> right. So, um, I mean, obviously, we, we we talked there about you know what's going on here in the UK with the quantitative easing, but uh, what, what's happening out there in the big bad world? Because you know, people listen to this program hoping to get clues as to what they should be doing with regards to public equities investing. I mean, you're a guy who's normally on a plane most of the time and all around the world. So, I guess you're still t- staying in touch with everyone. I mean, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you hearing out there? From the CEOs in particular. Uh, okay. Um, well, look, um, some conversations I had in the last uh, couple of days with the CEOs and management of of uh, companies that we are investors in, and um, you know, actively giving advice to and, and deploying capital to support. Um, here's an example of a copper mine in Nevada. I was speaking to the CEO of that mine last night. What they've done is they, they have 107 employees. Um, they were producing 30,000 tonne a year of copper, uh, and they furloughed 70% of those workers. So they've gone away. Um, they, um, they're they keeping some of the uh, the workers going. They, they put the mill, which is the, the, um, the big circular cylinder that, that crushes the rock, they put that on, on suspension, uh, and they've got the underground miners um, Continuing to to um, to dig dirt out of the underground mine, and they, the complication is that they send all of the underground miners down a cage, and they've got these two-meter distancing rules. So where they could send 30 people down at a time, now they can only send four people down at a time. Um, wow. So practical considerations about how you deal with corona distancing and isolation. Um, Which is a bit of a not. Isn't that a bit of a nonsense? Are they going to be underground working? And walking past each other using the same equipment. I mean, how just how practical are all of these things? I mean, are you getting any sort of in, insight into that? Are they really well, trying to pay attention to it, or is it just hearsay? Well, the I, I think the you know if you look at I, I was reviewing a document that TD Bank in Canada had produced this morning, which it goes through all of the countries, all the commodities, and all of the mines that have been suspended or put on care and maintenance um, now. And the effect that it has on on each commodity and country is different, of course. And so one commodity that seems to have moved into a bull market that I actually was listening to some other Cruxcast um, information on in the last week is, is uranium because you've got, I think there's only one significant uranium mine left in the world, which is still operating, being the Olympic Dam one in Australia, for, operated by BHP. Australia relatively unaffected. The Australian government has declared that mining is a strategic industry, and that they they, they will prioritise that for for workers. Um, whereas in other countries in the world, like Kazakhstan or Canada, 
most of the Canadian mines, certainly the uranium mines and plenty of the gold ones, appear to have been shut down or put on care and maintenance or suspension. So I think that the the restrictions are real. Um, I think some some companies will use the corona crisis as cover to manage down their guidance, um, to draw down their credit lines, to raise capital just in case. Um, and the investors, I think, are giving capital to those companies that are perceived to have decent balance sheets and, and good operating plans in, in reasonable places to do business. So uh, in a way, I suppose, Matt, that's more of the, um, the, the haves, you know, investors preferring to have the safety of the bigger, stronger companies that are less affected than some of the weaker ones, which will have, um, you know, this capital not allocated to them. There's a couple of things going on there, which is that if you've got money, you're probably you're obviously in a very good position if you've got money to hand or the ability to draw down because um you know it, it gives you a you know a runway to through to well at the other side of this hopefully this being cor- the yeah. corona virus um pandemic and then there's other people who don't have money who may be trying to raise money in a very difficult environment so and they're either not going to be successful in raising money and have to hunker down and work work out their way through this, or it's going to be very very expensive money, and you know so those those, those seem to be the, the the options here. But even the people with money, they're going to be spending their cash, investors' cash, cold hard cash, on things which are not about generating wealth. They will be about either putting things into care and maintenance. Uh, they're going to be about you know, paying a workforce who perhaps, you know, aren't as um, fully operational as, as they you know, previously were. They're going to be about, you know, c- keeping the lights on to a degree. And the efficiencies aren't going to be there. The margins aren't going to be there. Do you think the market's going to be forgiving and give them a sort of pink ticket and say, it's okay, we understand, it's affected everyone, it's, it's reasonable, and we'll all just have to suck it up? I mean, is, is that the mentality out there, do you think? Yes. Um... So, look, um, let me respond as an investor considering how do you allocate capital? Do I allocate to the biggest and the strongest companies and they're down by, um, let's say they're down by 10 or 20% off of the pre-corona crisis highs? Or do we allocate to the to the smaller companies, which might be off 70 or 80% in terms of the share price off its highs? And, and that's where you have to go in and look at the operation by operation, company by company, look at their balance sheet. Um, and so the questions I was asking the CEO of this copper, copper mine in Nevada last night was, okay, so you've announced a refinancing plan which gives you up to $97 million. Let's assume that you're on your um, on your track to turn your mine back on full steam ahead in July. What is your buffer? How many months do you – how much cash do you have? How many months do you have – um, at that point in time, um, in case July becomes the end of the year, becomes December, because the copper price has reacted. Copper, of course, is known as Dr. Copper. It's um, it's the most widely used industrial metal, and, and the copper price has fallen. Pre-crisis, it was trading around $270 a pound US. It's now trading around $220 a pound. Most of the world's copper production, more than half, is now uneconomic. So we know there's going to be a supply response, and the share price of this company in question is down by one half. Um, so I'm making the judgment that um, this is that the copper price will go back up. And commodity by commodity, the question is: is the 
restriction, the diminishing of aggregate demand offset by the diminishing of supply. And then the other big question we don't know the answer to, but can spec that around is, well, what about an infrastructure stimulus plan to go back to something we touched on at the start of this discussion? Um, and, and I think that's the most, the infrastructure stimulus is the most obvious thing for governments to do. They can still borrow at very low or near zero interest rates. Um, and the commodity that will do the best from infrastructure stimulus should be should be commodities like uh, iron ore for steel to build roads and buildings and copper for electrification. Um, so um, we'll make the judgment in the case of that Nevada copper mine because the share price is halved. Um, that they've got a six-month buffer in case things take six months, not three months, to normalise. And there's future demand coming. Um, and half the world's copper, of course, is consumed in China, and economically China is relatively unaffected. The United States is going to be much worse affected economically than China. So the, the, the engine of, uh, of copper demand is actually in pretty good shape. Copper prices uh, has more than offset that, and the share price in question is down by half. So, those are some of the um, some of the things that I think Matt go into a decision on: do you buy the weaker or the stronger companies? And, and again, I'm trying to again put this in layman's terms. You know, for for retail investors, is you know you have your portfolio of available cash that may all be sunk into investments in, in public companies or, or otherwise um, and right now there are some deals to be had I mean we're, we are yeah. absolutely buying right because there are some companies which whose valuations market cap share price rather has uh, have been sh- absolutely shredded for no good reason the fundamentals are fabulous they're producing cash or they've got a sort of near-term cash event but the, the market has panicked fled away because um, they didn't know what's going to happen. No one did. So there's some massive opportunities um, out there. If, if, if you've been watching a company for a while, you know, maybe now is the time. And, and again, we're kind of, we talked to someone yesterday about you know, finding the bottom, which is a subject close to your heart, um, where we don't mind um, you know, not, fi- not, you know, not being able to identify the ultimate bottom because even now, even now, these are good prices. And, um, you know, wait, if we wait around another couple of weeks and find out, we may, we may get a better deal, but it's pretty good now. And we may dive in in a couple of weeks as, as well. But these, these are good times for identifying deals. But for people whose money's tied up, they've got to make that bet between, well, I'm going to have to either sell out at a loss here, but I think the gains will be bigger over there, or do I just sit and just, you know, Except my lot will all hopefully recover. The boats will float again. Um, yeah. Do you do you sell something which is down seventy percent to buy something which is down fifty, or the other way around? Um, I, I think if Warren Buffett, who knows more about investing than any of us, were here, and I, I was actually my, my wife was asking me last night, what should she do with her cash? Um, and I said, well, look, this is a big responsibility. I'm feeling pressure to. To answer your question, let's let's have a listen to a Warren Buffett podcast. And Warren to say, look, I, I don't spend any time trying to time markets. What what me, Warren Buffett, and my partner Charlie Munger do is we buy good businesses, and we're not buying them just for a month or or a year. We're buying these forever. Um, so if there's a sale in global stocks going on then you get to buy those businesses which you deeply understand and have researched 
at a price which is which is less than it was before the, the, the correction in prices uh, began. So that's that's one way that I try and think of things is is I, I, I buy the businesses, the companies, the share prices that we have a lot of knowledge around, that we've spent a lot of time building dialogue with management. And because the prices become cheaper, that becomes the place that we allocate our scarce capital. Um, so I, I think you don't need to own everything. Um, and, um, you know, the... Um, you, you just have to stick with what you know and, and um, allocate capital to those companies that you've wanted to own for a while and maybe the price hasn't been right. So hunker down. Just, just, just sit. I'm not sure. I don't play poker. There's a, there's a phrase, isn't there? Hold. You hold. Uh, yeah. When to hold, when to fold, when to pack up and run. Is that Kenny Rogers? You're not, you're not throwing Kenny Rogers at me. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, yeah, I we, think we, my... We need to have words. There are rules. <laughs> well, okay, well, that, that, I guess that's good advice. And I think, you know, it's a question which I think lots of people, discussion lots of people are having around the world. You know, what, what, what do you do? Are there deals to be done? And I think there's, there's not much certainty out there. So if you're lucky enough to have some free cash, I think it's, it, it's a good time um, maybe well, to look at companies that you have been looking at for a while and, and pick them up for cheaper than you could have before. If you truly believe that company is yeah, and and I think and in terms of market timing, um, I think people, everybody, Matt, has to take a view. Do you believe in reflation or do you believe in global depression? Um, there's lots of alarming headlines around that this is as bad as anything since the global depression, economically speaking. Um, and actually, the share prices haven't gone down nearly as much as the global depression, where they went down seventy seven zero percent. From now, they were down 30 or 40% from the highs. Now they're down only about 20. Um, so investors have to take a view. Do they think that the fiscal and monetary response of the governments will fill in that hole in aggregate demand, which is which is caused by this corona crisis? Um, and so, therefore, are you a, are you are you a depression are you a depressionist or a deflationist or are you a reflationist? I'm firmly in the reflation camp, and my reasoning is really simple that I think that we have um, absolutely political consensus that governments need to do whatever it takes to to support people who've lost their jobs because of the global pandemic known as the corona crisis and that they're going to borrow as much money as they need to and both from the both from the capital markets and from central banks to fill the aggregate demand hole because that's what governments do. Politicians want to get re-elected, therefore they'll borrow as much as they need to, to replace that missing demand. So that's the reflationist argument. The deflationist argument is, oh my God, it's going to be a wave of global bankruptcies, permanent destruction of demand and productivity, and, and there's worse times ahead of us. And that answering that question, I think, is the key in terms of do you sit on more cash and wait for, for more of that bad news to come back into the economy and to stop prices, or, or do you put all in now? I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Um, it's a great question. And, you know, I, one of the guys who worked with me came in and said his father had told him not to pay his bills because he may need the cash. Hmm. Right? So not pay your bills. Um, yeah. Okay, survey of one. But we went on to talk to other people and, you know, similar thinking. Just very nervous about what the future holds and you know and, and we've seen obviously people 
<laughs> with rushes on uh, toilet roll and flour and uh, you know food and so forth over here. And I, you know, I think you've had similar stories, and we've heard similar stories and from Australia and Canada. Um, people just don't know what to make of it, and I think that's why we're doing these podcasts to sort of help people understand the possibilities of what may happen, but the realities of what is actually happening. So. Um, these these are uncertain times, my friend. C- can I just ask you, what your home country, Australia? What's the news mm. from there? Um, look, I think the government, the Australian government, is regarded as having a, uh, a good response. That they've the isolation restrictions are real. I was speaking to the finance director of um, the world's best Zircon development asset, in which we own shares, two days, two days, two mornings ago, um, and. The question I asked him was, I said, can this investor who wants to come in and put some money in, can he get from the state of New South Wales, where Sydney the, the uh, Sydney is, to the state of Victoria, which is where Melbourne is? And the answer was, well, um, no, not really, is, is, was the experience, because the police will be there at the border, and unless it's regarded as essential travel... And, that, and arguably an investment is not in essential travel, um, you can't get from one state to another. And even within states, there's restrictions. Um, having said that, I think the Australian experience seems to be like the other countries in Asia, which have jumped on it quickly. It is next to Asia after all. Um, and that means that the economic fallout will be lower. Um, and actually, as regards that particular company, which uh, has a uh, undeveloped Zircon project sitting in Victoria, three hours' drive from Melbourne. Um, suddenly yesterday, or uh, it, was, it was Wednesday when we were speaking, so um, suddenly on, on the Wednesday, the Foreign Investment Review Board has suddenly come back into life and having put the drawbridge up and said, no more foreign investment in Australia, we're not going to have you steal our assets due to this crisis, suddenly they'd come, they'd come online and said, no, we're back on the original timetable now. We're going to give you the approval for this foreign investment, putting $150 million into this mine. Um, and um, you'd expect that positive decision on April the 21st. So um, some countries have dealt with it better. Um, I think the, the richer countries with, um, with established health systems that have acted early and preemptively to isolate people so that the, um, the hospitals, the health systems and the businesses are less effective for less time, like Australia, are in pretty good shape to come out of it um, very quickly, is, is what I can see. Well, that's, that's good news. That's good news. I'd like to say, every week feels like a month at the moment because so much changes. The, the, the government's reaction is over here daily. Um, and it's good news. At least they're, they're on it, I guess. So Australia is, is all and well. We're going to be speaking to one of your compatriots um, later today as well um, from the uranium space, Mr. Brandon Monroe. So, oh yeah, well he he seems to know a lot about uranium. He and does. I believe but <laughs> he does. He's a good guy. Good guy, really smart, very articulate. Um, he can exp- he and into the detail. Is he's wonderful, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's he's got that low grade uranium thing in uh, Namibia mm. which have got its two uranium mines shut down, I believe, and Olympic Dam in Australia is is to my knowledge <laughs> the only major uranium mine still operating. Well, Yes, yes and no. In in the Rossing and Husab uh, in Namibia, they not shut down necessarily. There, there's a discussion going on with the government, so it will, according to Brandon, restrict uh, the the output, but only between five and ten percent. 
That was as of last Friday's conversation. So we're about to find out today if anything has changed there uh, and what perhaps the outcomes of those conversations with the government are. Because again, like Australia, it's uh, deemed an essential uh, industry, uh, certainly in terms of um, revenues, etc. And I think there will be some exemptions. So it'll be interesting today to find out if things have moved on. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. In fact, if you go, if you drive around, um, if you go to Windhoek, the capital of Namibia, and drive around, it feels to me like driving around in Western Australia. It's uh, it's warm and sunny. It's a nice temperate climate. There's lots of desert. There's a few mines. There's not all that many people. Uh, interesting that they've had a similar experience with the crisis, um, mm. and that the mining industry is equally prominent. Well, look, I think I think we have run the gamut here today. So thank you very much. Um, for talking to us today, and do thank young Sienna for joining joining us. She's a celebrity star at age six months. Um, <laughs> so look, uh, let's let's try and catch up next week. Um, I hope you and your family are well and um, business as usual. So Simon, I will let you go, sir. Uh, Matt, thank you for having us um, on a, a lovely Easter Friday. Um, I wish you good luck with your Easter egg hunt. Um, go gold. Surely you'll put another hundred dollars an ounce by next week. Thank you for um, listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so yeah. please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> you bloody weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's staying in. That's all staying in. <laughs>